0: kieran i'm Hana. this is
1: kitchen table cult where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right
0: hi kieran
1: hi hannah hi everybody welcome to the kitchen table cult podcast
0: yay we're back for one more time before the hysterectomy
1: yes Yes, because time is a thing that passes, and I, I don't know how to judge it. Um, so next week, we will have an After Dark episode when I am extremely on painkillers. Um, but this week, we have an actual episode that will launch by the time that I'm out of the hospital.
0: Yay, that'll be good.
1: Also, thank you to Aaron for for making the podcast last week. You saved our um, saved our butts and editing it and doing all the cool shit. Yep.
0: And uh, we want to thank John Daniel slash his band The Heavens for um, our music clips that we use in this podcast. Super useful. Yeah.
1: They're so pretty and good.
0: Um. Yes. So, what are we talking about this week?
1: Uh. Well, we. I think we should talk about homeschooling because we've touched on it a bit but we haven't really gone into detail and that's something that's fundamental to understanding everything else
0: and it's kind of really Um, important to understanding us and like why we do what we do really tends to come back to homeschooling so what is homeschooling depends on who you ask (laughs) it really does um homesco- yeah, homeschooling can be is educating your kids outside of standard systems, um, educating them in, in an environment that's at home usually. And it doesn't mean that parents are doing the teaching, um, but it does mean that you're not going to school.
1: Right. You're not part of the public education system or the private education system. It's you're basically on your own with whatever resources your parents can provide you with.
0: Mhm. And there's a whole lot of um curriculums out there that you can use um a lot of the same textbooks that you can get in the public school are available for private purchase and use and um and you know there are some really great um homeschool teachers who are like certified teachers or educators um and who are able to use those resources the way they were intended. Um, and then sometimes you get people who don't understand how those tools are supposed to be used, and, um, they try to use it, and maybe sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't.
1: Yeah. Um, do we know much about who homeschools? Sort of. Um.
0: Well, most of these people are, are, (laughs) don't trust the government, so they don't want to, uh, get recorded or counted. And most, most states don't require you to report that you're homeschooling. Um, but from the data that we do have, which is limited, what do we know? We know
1: that at least in 2012, um, 83% of homeschoolers were white, um, according to the NCES, which stands for I don't remember right now. Uh,
0: it's, I think the National, National
1: Center for Education. Nat-
0: National Center for Education Statistics.
1: Yes, that's a word. Um, statistics. statistics. We, we can, can say it. Really can. This is fine.
0: Do you remember NCFCA like debate coaching talking about like this is the word that homeschoolers mess yes. up the most, and like we need to like sit around and practice saying yes. this word. Yeah, it's pretty true.
1: Um,
0: so, and it's pretty much yeah, it's pretty much white people, and it's um, and I think that's because it requires um. There's a lot of privilege that goes into homeschooling. You have to be um, willing to assume that you can work outside the system without having consequences. Um, You have to be willing to assume that you don't need the extra support. So you have a a parent or a caregiver who's able to stay at home and homeschool. Um, And that requires a lot of financial support. yeah, stability. Yeah, you have so to be able to do that. Like my family, um, I, I would say we were pretty squarely middle class, but um, we definitely had scarcity mentality because we had so many kids and so few, so little money to go around. But my dad had a really steady white collar job. And um, my mom was college educated. And so she felt like she had... The tools to homeschool us and she felt she had the stability to homeschool us so it's not something that you find like people who have a lot of financial instability in their lives gravitating to toward naturally
1: right yeah and that's not to say that like poor homeschoolers or people of color don't homeschool they exist um, and I think some of the demographics of that is changing now, but we don't have the data to reflect that quite yet, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's becoming more common, at least anecdotally to have poor people well, and people of color starting to homeschool now for join. Well, and
0: I knew a lot of, I, lo- I knew a lot of really poor homeschoolers that, you know, the dad had blue collar jobs and, um, was, you know, hustling and putting together two or three different Um, sources of income to make it work but um the ideology behind that of like i can step outside the system and there's not going to be any backlash is very it's
1: extremely white white privilege yeah homeschooling is really it's an option if you have privilege and that's how i kind of like to describe it to people is there's a lot because you're taking on the higher education system as one person or two people so that that requires a lot of privilege
0: yeah there's a lot of exceptionalist thinking that goes into it you get a lot of um people talking about you get it's it's kind of the divine rights kinds of things you get you get people talking about being called you get people talking about um you know well this is good for them because they're different than anybody else and they're special and and it really um, has, again just that's that's ex- extremely an extremely white mentality.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it sort of started gaining popularity in the 70s and 80s around the moral majority where everyone didn't want to be part of desegregation mm-hmm. and wanted to keep their kids away from those kids. So it it gained a lot of traction as sort of a white flight of people not wanting their white kids to be in school with kids of color.
0: Well, and you have like Brown, Brown versus board happened in 1954 and then Engel versus Vitali, which is the the court case that ended, um, school prayer in schools. Um, and said that was unconstitutional. That was 1962. And so you get the, these two things where religious people are losing, um, religious whites are losing privilege and so they're starting to feel like their place at the top of the heap is being threatened and because they're special they're gonna go create their own new system they're called by God (laughs) to do this which is just it's such a load of entitled crap but it I mean historically it makes sense it's part of the the mindset in the times and um, and we're the we're here cleaning up the mess that they made. I don't... Do you remember having um, many people of color in your homeschool community?
1: Um, Yeah, so in Florida, there was actually a pretty large um, Latino community. So there were a lot of homeschoolers of color, but there weren't a lot of black homeschoolers. Um, In Atlanta... Uh, when I moved there, it was predominantly white. Mm -hmm. So it depended on where I lived. Mm -hmm. um, but, But even so, the homeschoolers of color were in the minority. So there were still a lot more white homeschoolers than anyone else.
0: Yeah, and our homeschool group in California, I mean, where we were living in California in the Central Valley, there really weren't that many black people. There were a lot of Latinos. Um... And so we did have some um, Latinx diversity in our community um, in the homeschool world. but And then again, when we moved to Richmond, um, it was a much different uh, racial demographic. And even then, we only had, I think, in our church, I knew of two black families. And both of them homeschooled. It was interesting because it. It didn't feel like there were very many. Not only were there not very many black people there, but they the, they were very much not making waves, and um. And I mean that makes perfect sense. It's a white dominated community, and these people, most of them, are pretty racist. And um, you know, as I as I grew older, the more I realized that that was a part of that community was this, like, really um, aggressive, quiet racism that was part of the homeschool world.
1: Yeah, that's something that I came to understand as I got older as well, which was just, like, initially I was like, no, we're not racist. It's, what, what are you talking about? Everyone is fine. We don't care. But the thing is, it is actually super racist. It's just an undercurrent that is constant, and it's so ingrained that you don't notice it until you figure out how racism works and you realize it's systemic and then you're like oh no this is entirely based in racism and white supremacy
0: yeah i i mean because of that community and that background like i definitely haven't done any of the heavy lifting necessary to undo the damage done by that um and that's something that i have Started to work toward, but I haven't really put in the time, and I need to. And, um, but it's it's systemic in that community. I mean, it's I mean, as we said, it's like it's kind of white flight from the school systems, um, and that's where it started, and you can't get away from that origin.
1: No. It's really frustrating. It's actually kind of interesting because um, I'm. Lebanese and Portuguese so I'm not white and when I moved to Georgia uh, that's when I started realizing and and facing sort of like racism against olive and brown people Um, because in Florida everyone is dark like me so it's fine Um, but when I moved to Atlanta we had Child Protective Services called on us when my mom had a baby because they thought we were Iranian terrorists. And it was at that point that I started grappling with race.
0: Was that like, right after oh. 9-11? When was that?
1: Um, it was several years after, but yeah.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, so how did that impact your, um, your experiences as a teenager in like, Teen Pact and NCFCA?
1: I hid my skin. Mm-hmm. I hid it. I wore long sleeves, I wore long skirts. It worked because I was being modest. Mm. Um, and like I just tried to look super white and super pale yeah and yeah and that was something that like I didn't really come to understand until I was an adult and started thinking things through and realizing oh no that's just a lot of internalized racism also and my parents tried really hard um to be white so that was very much part of my culture
0: gotcha gotcha so, why did, why did your parents um, homeschool? What, what drew them to it?
1: Um, initially, it was because... So, the story goes that I knew how to um, write my name and I knew my colors and whatever it is that you need to know for first grade. Mm-hmm. And the private school that I was going to um, didn't want me to skip. And my mom was like, I know how to teach first grade. So they were like, we'll just teach you, we'll just homeschool. My mom had been to uh she went to Flagler for deaf education.
0: Ah, so okay.
1: she never graduated or finished or anything. But she had enough that she felt like she could do first grade and at the same time she was kind of being pressured by some friends at church to homeschool because um they were my brother's best friend. Okay, and, so there's a big homeschool uh,
0: community in your church already.
1: Yeah, so it was like a mix between peer pressure and we want you to be able to start first grade when you're five or four, right, whatever right. age I was. And then it just sort of went downhill from there as they got involved in a like religious homeschool community.
0: Right. For my parents, I think it was a pretty um, natural progression. Most of their peers from the church in San Francisco that they had been at were homeschooling their kids. And so it was like all their friends were homeschooling. Um, And we moved to Visalia when I was pretty little. And then we had my next sister down. And um, the schools where we were weren't great. And so it seemed like a natural, like, well, we'll do this. And my mom, you know, she had a bachelor's, bachelor of science in nursing. Um, She hadn't had really great school experiences and so she was kind of excited to try something different um and so they they did that and we did that until kind of taking it year by year until um, fourth grade right before i was about to go into fourth grade my mom was pregnant and she was due in december um and so she thought oh it might be easier to put hana in school and there was this private christian school that she liked the sound of and was thinking about it and she brought it up with my dad and he was like no that's not what we do as a family we homeschool so that was like when it stopped it stopped being like a a year by year consideration and became like a this is our family identity Yeah.
1: yeah it became my family's identity pretty shortly after homeschooling after becoming involved with the homeschool group, my parents were like, oh yeah, no, this is what God is calling us to do and it is now the only thing we can ever do.
0: Right, and my dad took that that verse in Deuteronomy really seriously where it talks about, you know, teach your children the ways of God when when you're at home, when you lie down, when you walk along the way. Like, so he believed that it was God's, calling on parents and that to do anything otherwise was functionally an abdication of your calling as a parent. Yeah, my
1: parents also believed that. Um, And that was a large part of it.
0: So, this plays into um, the concept of parental rights and how um, the the United States has not ratified the UN Rights of the Child Act and um, largely because of homeschoolers lobbying against it. And states like Virginia have what's called a parental rights amendment now added to their constitutions. Where, did, where does this all come from? Because these are all homeschool lobbying Right, um, that are efforts. led
1: largely by Michael Ferris and people from and related to HSLDA and just sort of, I'm not sure why that was a thing that started but they believe that there is a God given unalienable parental right that parents have control over their children until adulthood and, and that nobody should be in their way and they're trying mm-hmm. to make that I mean ultimately they want it in the US constitution that's the end goal really
0: yeah well, I think a lot of it comes back to like what that that Bible verse and my father's interpretation of it and it so it ties into like you are responsible for your child. the government is not. and to do anything that gives the government obligation to look out for children is, an abdication of your parental duties. And they've turned that into a religious rights issue. So it's it's kind of turned, um, like, responsibility on its head and become made it an authority problem. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I remember we used to... All of the parents that I knew... Who were homeschooling were also probably also believed in spanking and corporal punishment of various kinds, and so there was all these there were all these conversations about how do we evade CPS, how do we um, evade being caught for not having our kids in school? Yeah, it was seen as a persecution, but also like how do we spank and not leave bruises? How do we um, like stay inside at certain hours of the day so like nobody calls? The yeah. officer on us yeah like
1: that was all part of mine
0: and that was all that was coming from hslda yep
1: yep my parents hadn't even thought of it until they joined hslda and were like oh my god we can't be outside during school hours oh my god we like can't like you know spank our kids as much yeah. as we thought
0: <laughs> so what what does hslda do um, HSLDA stands they, for the homeschool Legal Defe- the homeschool
1: Legal Defense Association. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they go around, um, initially they tried to like legalize homeschooling and now they try to keep it unregulated.
0: Right. Well, and I think the, the part of the problem is that like they wanted to get it on the books state by state. Um, and homeschooling, when it started wasn't started by Christians. It was started by hippies and liberals. Um, as a way to have more of a child-centric, student-driven educational approach. Um, it's a popular option for child stars and, you know, savants and... Um, Olympians. Olympians. When Christi- but when Christians got into it, it became this, like, uh, we need to get this on the books as a religious liberty concern. Um, Well, we're going to take a short break and (laughs) get into um, our own experiences a little bit more. So, um, The age old question That we would always get as kids And now as adults when we tell people That we were homeschooled do you, Did you like being homeschooled? Yep. Do you like being homeschooled? So we got that I got that question like almost any time I went out in public during school hours It would be like at the grocery store And somebody would be like why aren't you in school? And my mom would be like we're homeschoolers And the lady would be like do you like being homeschooled? And I'd kind of look at my mom and kind of look at the lady and like think about mm-hmm. how much do I tell her because I don't want to get in trouble. And I do like being homeschooled. I did like the freedom, but I also knew the the response I was supposed to give.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was asked that also basically whenever I left the house and like I, we were coached on the answer. Uh, Which was obviously, yes, we love homeschooling It's great Um, And I got really good at just being like Yeah, it's cool And then people would ask me about socialization And I'd be like, I mean, I get to I get to meet with people of all kinds of ages So I'm more socialized Because I'm I'm hanging out with (laughs) adults right now
0: (laughs) That was my my dad's big thing It's like, yeah, well, we don't believe in you hanging out with only your peers And you need to, like diversify your ages of friends like be able to talk to
1: anyone yeah so so as an adult now um i work entirely with people who are within like 10 years of me all the time Mm -hmm. and and not people who are necessarily like 40 or 50 years older than me as much Like, they're still there, but it's not as as much. Most of what I do is my peers.
0: I interact with a lot of my peers, and I interact with a lot of older people. But it's true, though. I do get along with older people better than my peers because I don't know how to relate to my peers. Because all of their um, camaraderie-building techniques are based on shared media experiences from growing up. And, like, which cartoons they watched and, like, what music they were into. And, like, where were you when that movie came out? And, like, when was... You know, what did you do for your first boyfriend or girlfriend in school? And like, I don't have those. I don't have any of those. No, I, I don't. Have, that community, that culture doesn't no. exist for us.
1: No. So it's weird because my like my upbringing and life experience is so much more similar to people who are my grandparents ages mm-hmm. than people who are my ages. Yeah. like, this is just how it is right now.
0: I get along with 70-year-olds far better than I do with 30-year-olds. Yeah. So I think I think I I liked some of the freedom of being homeschooled. I mean, I used to get all the questions of like, do you wear your pajamas all day? Oh do you just God, like yeah. do whatever you want? And I, <laughs> no, I had to be out of bed at 7 a.m., or my mother would send the twins to jump on my head and scream at me to get down and help and make breakfast for somebody. And we had to have all of our chores done by eight so we would be in the living room for Bible time by eight thirty, dressed and showered and ready for the day and having had all our personal devotions done as well as before we would spend an hour doing like family Bible time and worship that my mom would lead and would always end in somebody melting down and having a spanking and all of us waiting in the living room until she told us we could go and do our school. Yep.
1: That was extremely similar. I had to be Upstairs, out of bed, dressed, ready, and giving people breakfast by 8 a.m. And if, Mm -hmm. like, I wasn't feeling well that day or something, I would be in trouble and yelled at and people would come and jump on me. And I had to feed and bathe and get everyone ready for school, do all the dishes, do all the chores, all of that by, like, 9. And Mm -hmm. if school... if, If my education took me longer than two hours to do that was problematic because I needed to be making lunch at 11
0: my mom was pretty good about giving me space during high school to do my own thing but that also meant that I didn't have any supervision and I would I, I think I've got ADHD I don't know but I, I would be really I would get into hyperfocus. Mm-hmm. I would read something and only do one thing or I'd be unable to focus and I'd flit around the house like trying to find a better spot to do my school because you know i couldn't work here because it was too hot and i couldn't work there because i was cramped and i couldn't work you know
2: mm-hmm.
0: nothing so i when i had parental supervision it was always for my academics it was always a punitive experience because it would be like oh well you haven't been doing your school work well enough so now i have to come get involved and work with you and you get the bad in thing. trouble yeah 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 so i so like in college i i had one class i was in um i was in a symbolic logic class and the professor was really generous with office hours and stuff but it was my first semester of freshman year and i was terrified to go ask for help i was terrified to go talk to him i didn't understand a lot of the stuff that was going on and i was doing a lot of work on my own but i really should have just gone to his office and gotten help and but i was yeah. still so scared to because yeah. I didn't want to be all in trouble of,
1: all of last semester well the, like my first semester at school and even last semester also it was like I have ADHD and I'm struggling and all of what I do is math and science which is everything that was neglected so I have no framework for any of the things that I'm learning yeah. And I didn't know how to ask for help. And people were like ask for help and I'm like, but I literally don't know how. My parents gave me books when I was 10 and expected me to do them and then stopped my education 5 years later. Mm-hmm. That is my high school experience. I had no ability to ask for help.
0: Yeah. I had to learn the hard way how to work with groups. I had I mean how to you know pace yourself in a in a classroom setting is still very hard for me. Uh, it's like I just don't follow the rules. I don't know I don't what the
1: rules are. Remember
0: them until I've usually made I've usually made yep. a fool of myself. Yep. I got in trouble for
1: putting signs up on campus <laughs> because I didn't realize that they needed to be stamped. By like the oh, administration. By student life and learning. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, I just put up flyers. Everyone else was putting up flyers. I didn't realize there were rules attached to this. Like I don't I don't yeah. know how to operate in this system because this is not a system I've ever had to deal with
0: before. Right. So it's it's tricky because a lot of these things apply to office life and um and organizing people in general and it's and there's a lot of social cues that we're missing so i mean sure i had friends right but we were we were all just as weird as each other right like we were all on like the internet
1: who were the same as me
0: all nerdy obsessive socially anxious and honestly really shut down and traumatized yep um in various ways and so yeah, of course we had socialization, but it's not the kind of socialization we needed. We didn't right. I didn't a- interact with anyone who is um diverse in any way other than neurotypical. Right. <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, I didn't I didn't actually meet
1: anyone who was significantly different than me until like after I moved out.
0: I didn't until after probably after college and maybe even after probably a year after I got married is, or the year after I got married was when I was starting to like actually interact with like people with very different backgrounds. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I sucked at it and I, I had all of the curiosity and interest, but also just no tools and yep. no ability to uh, know how I was coming across or how to be just, you know, a normal, compassionate, socialized human.
1: yeah. It's only been, like, it's only been the last two years, two or three years since I moved to the West Coast that I've actually had a variety of friends that are all, like, not the same as me. And they all yeah. have different stories and different things, and we have different things in common, and it's weird. It's really awesome. I love it. But it's, yeah, like, I this love new it. thing, this new skill that I'm only developing in my mid-20s. Is getting to know people and become friends with people who grew up differently than I did.
0: Yeah, and I guess this and this kind of goes back to like the white supremacist roots of homeschooling. Is that this this is fear of the outside world is built into how we're raised, and it maybe is not intended as racist, but it's definitely part of the um, the mindset with a theological superiority like oh well we know how the bible is read and we got right. our faith right and you don't and so we're not going to interact with you because you are quote unquote of the world and you are sinful i mean so all of these things like we're part and parcel of it and it just it goes the it gets worse the further you dig down into the layers yep so what's going on with homeschooling now what is the state of homeschooling in America?
1: I mean, that's a good question. We don't really have the data for it. Um, we know a lot of people are doing it. Um, I know that uh, when I talk to people about current events and, and I tell them that, like, I was raised on this side of it, they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, so homeschoolers were a huge part of the reason that the tea party was able to do so well and the reason that so many people were able to be elected in the like 2010s ish
0: yeah see, so let, let's let get into that a little bit um i was not politically active at that point and you were so tell me about how that happened
1: yeah so like with team pact and with generation joshua in the early 2000s um early mid 2000s uh when i was going to all of the camps we were all training to be activists we were all training to run for election we were all training to run campaigns to be politically involved to take over the federal legislature Mm -hmm. like happened in 2010 so all of even though i wasn't on the same like i had left at that point um by 2010 but it was weird watching it happen because it was all of everything that i had been trained to do in 2006 2007 2008 right um and it was all people who like were vaguely connected to me who were running for office through patrick henry generation joshua team pact and they had all of the homeschooled students behind them like the homeschool students are the reason that tom cotton got elected um they came out a lot for pence right Um, a bunch of the tea party activists were like their campaigns were fueled by the activism and work and labor of homeschooled students.
0: Whenever there's a bill related to homeschooling that goes up in a state legislature, it's really interesting to um, to be doing lobbying on the, the pro-regulation side because every time I talk to a, an aide or a staff member I, and I say, hi i'm calling about this bill or i'm here about this bill and i'm a homeschooler and they get this deer in the headlights look of terror because um the homeschoolers come out in the in droves. droves they just come out in droves and they're angry and they don't understand um the motives behind you know a proposed piece of legislation they don't understand the nuances um all they know is they're being targeted. They feel yeah, they think
1: punished. Mm-hmm. But it's not the case. And they,
0: they believe that it's religious persecution and they just go to town with their rage. And so these these offices are bombarded with angry constituents who are anti-regulation. And so when I come up and I say, "Hi, I'm here and I'm pro-regulation and I'm a homeschool alum." The relief, it's just like they instantly relax and they're like It's palpable. And it's palpable yeah. and they're like oh my god I'm so glad to hear that we've been getting so many calls we don't know what to do with this uh, we thought this was a Every good idea I went we had no idea that any, anyone was on the other side because we were only hearing opposition
1: yep yeah, that was the same experience I had in Sacramento earlier this year Um, Because they had introduced some bills in California, and I was like, oh, I should go and meet with everyone in the education committee. And every single person that I talked to had that same reaction, Mm -hmm. where it was deer in the headlights, and then I was like, no, I'm on the other side. Also, I'm a homeschool alum. And then they were like, oh, my God. Okay, (laughs) one of the legislators who submitted a really good bill actually pulled her Mm. bill because she got just inundated with phone calls from angry people just chewing her out. And she was like, I don't, I clearly don't have enough of a stake in this to like try. And I was like, um, so talk to me next time and i will right help
0: and and that. it's funny because the the, <laughs> the homeschoolers who are doing this they'll probably be counting this um lobbying as schoolwork. work they'll be like this is civics this counts as like absolutely this is part of my high school credit like these hours are directly tied to school civics. yeah directly tied to school work yeah. and they, you know you've got to stay at home moms who are very passionate and they think that have time have time you've got kids who have time and they just either they're more free to volunteer it, again it's a privilege thing they um they don't have the other factors restricting they don't have to work three jobs no. so they're just throwing themselves into it so when we see these bills come up it's usually in reaction to some news case about abuse um, you want to talk about Homeschooling's Invisible Children?
1: Yeah. So Homeschooling's Invisible Children is a database that uh, the Coalition for Responsible Home Education runs where we just collect the stories of kids who are abused or murdered or otherwise have, like, trauma. Um Because Mm -hmm. or where homeschooling is a factor. Um, Where homeschooling Mm -hmm. enabled it or uh, hit it or sometimes kids are pulled out of school because someone notices abuse and they're pulled out so they can be abused more and then it's once Not get caught. Yeah. Um,
0: So we saw cases like the Hart family um, and the... Turpin family, we've heard um, our friend um, Josh in Virginia, who was featured in the Washington Post, who got himself out um, so he could go to a community college, Josh Powell. Um, these All of these cases of either educational neglect or abuse, um, it's hard to trace them and it's hard to document them because, again, most of them happen off the grid and most of them don't get caught until Um, there there's a fatality involved and we're just trying to document the the numbers in an ad hoc way of how many kids are being abused that we know of because of homeschool laws that prevent mandatory reporters from running into these kids
1: yeah we can't even collect data on how many people are homeschooling at this point. The The amount that we can collect is very limited and it varies by state. Uh, wasn't there something in Virginia that came out a bit ago or, or like they tried to have some kind of data? So
0: there's two ways of homeschooling in Virginia. Um, one is you register with your local school board, you send them a letter with your intent, and then you submit... Um, annual testing so you 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 tell them how many kids their ages whatever your curriculum plan you don't have to get it approved you just tell them what it is and then um you submit annual test scores um, from some sort of standardized testing process and a lot of the homeschool moms will get certified and, t- and administer them to their kids themselves and submit them and they're pretty easy um, but the second way you can do it is you can file um, under religious exemption. And so when we were lobbying in Virginia in, I guess it was 2014, um, it was based on this uh, bill that we were trying to get through that would require, if you were, require home, like religious exemption to end, because all you have to do is say, I'm homeschooling for re- religious reasons, and nobody ever follows up with you. Nobody tests the kids. Nobody checks in. No, You can have more kids and never tell the state. And they might not have social security numbers or birth certificates because the parents might be, you know, sovereign citizens or off the grid and do home births. So you get a lot of kids who are able to disappear. And so all we were trying to do is say, like, we need to know who's being homeschooled so that you can't disappear um and there was such a backlash and it didn't get anywhere and they even josh powell was our um kind of our our poster child and they brought in his sister to testify against him and say that his his experiences weren't true even though he had you know, not been taught to read until very late and was massively educationally neglected um, and basically needed, I can't remember if he actually got emancipated or was trying to get emancipated so he could go to community college to get remedial math and catch up to his peers. But um, either way, like it it became a he said, she said case because Mm -hmm. HSLDA brought in his sister to say that he was lying because two people can't have different experiences clearly. Right. And so when we get when we get these the homeschool parents will talk to us and they'll be like, "Are you against homeschooling?" And we'll be like, "No. no. Homeschooling could be done great if you have a qualified educator. Um, or a parent who's really, really invested in their child and um, working alongside them, and it, they have power, like healthy power differentials happening in the home so that the child doesn't feel like the relationship with the parent as an authority figure is merged with the relationship with the parent as a oh, teacher. That is so it could terrible. Be, it could be really good. Um, there's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of innovative ways you can teach and um, I'm a big fan of Reggio Emilia um, style education and so I think that like someone could homeschool using those methods um, and do a really great job but most homeschool parents don't do that
1: right yeah that's basically what I tell people too is I think it can be great I think it can be a huge opportunity I think it can be really helpful if, like, a kid is having a really hard time in school to have an environment that's safe to learn in. But right. you have to understand, like, the burden that you are taking on yourself and you have to be prepared for that and you have to be able to invest in your child's education. And if you can't, that's okay. That doesn't make you a failure. It's fine. Right. Just do what works You're for You're not your a bad parent. <laughs> yeah.
0: I. It's interesting to me that that people think that they could homeschool like five different grades at the same time with limited resources and limited like uh outlets and also like what if your your kid has special needs and um you need extra help and like the the, you know like developmental delays or um various learning disabilities in the classroom like you can't you sometimes don't know how to recognize that in your own kid and and how do you help that child unless you're trained for that i mean people go to school Mm -hmm. for years and years to become good at educating in those circumstances and it's a it's a really big thing to take on to school multiple kids at multiple age levels um out of the home when they're also your own children and also the like you have to be incredibly well emotionally yeah. adjusted to do the it parent, well. The parent,
1: teacher, enmeshment, same-person thing is a really hard thing to overcome after you've been homeschooled and when you go to school. At least for me, it's really hard.
0: Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, well, we're going to um, take another break, and then we're going to take a call from... Uh, A friend of mine who I knew um, when I was in Richmond um, being homeschooled who was homeschooled for part of his his time Um, and we'll see what he has to say all right hi Caleb
2: hey how's it going
0: good Um, we liked your question and we'd love to have you um, ask it on air and get a discussion going
2: Okay, yeah, sure. Um, So, I I listened to your first podcast, and um, at the end, I heard your invitation for questions. Um, So, yeah, I just, I had, I guess, probably boiled down to two, and I'll start with the first one, if that's okay. Go Um, So, I guess my, my first question was, do you believe that homeschooling should be banned altogether, or just more regulated by the government? I don't think
1: it should be banned. I think it should be, I think it should still be a thing. I think it should exist. I think it just needs to, I think people who homeschool should be held accountable. There should be a way for us to be able to make sure that like no one is being beaten or tortured or their education completely shot. I want to maintain the freedom and the innovation of homeschooling, but not let people die in the process.
2: Hmm.
0: yeah I am really excited about the potential for of homeschooling um, for child centered learning for um, innovative uh, education styles and methods and, and there's a whole lot that can be done with it but if it's for the kid it's probably going to be better than if it's for the adults religious ideology so going at it on a case by case basis going at it on a need basis, as opposed to an absolute, like this is what we do for this blanket reason, is probably gonna be a safer approach. And our okay. policy recommendations that we make are always about how do we protect children. Um, and if you want to give up, if you don't wanna give up freedom, the question I always ask is, well, what what is a child's life worth to you? If this saves one homeschool kid's life, are you willing to submit annual records of this or that to your state so that one less kid will die
2: okay okay and so i guess that kind of segues into my next one um and that is how do you want to advocate for children's rights in the future and i was trying to figure out you know if you would have to work with churches and existing homeschool organizations, or if you would be attempting to actually work against those organizations? So no, I try to work, I try to work with homeschool organizations, um,
1: less so with churches, just because I don't go to church, so it's hard for me to work with churches. Um, But I feel like we can and we should be allies and fight together for this, and I'm in conversations with Uh, homeschool groups in California, actually, because I'm trying to start a movement here of uh, coming together with homeschoolers who believe that homeschooling should be used as a child-centered educational option. Homeschooling should be an educational method, not an identity. Um, and, And work with them to preserve everything that's also about homeschooling, obviously, while also Uh, providing accountability for people who who need it because everybody needs to have accountability it's important Um, but I don't try to work against them a lot of people think that we are against them from the outset just because our approach is child-centered and not parental rights centered Um, but I definitely think they're worth working with and we should be working together and it's very compatible we just need to realize that there's common ground
0: yeah I think that the the thing to keep in mind is that because we're putting kids first, um, we have a lot of differing assumptions with a lot of these groups that are doing homeschooling for religious reasons. So if the if these groups are willing to get behind kids first um, homeschooling, then we're not going to have any conflicts. We don't ask for much in terms of policy reform. Um, our three basic requirements Requests are that kids get two encounters with mandatory reporters annually through one with a doctor and one with a qualified teacher to do some sort of standardized evaluation or testing. Um, And then three, that states require um, a register for homeschool students so that you can't go off the grid and make your kid disappear. So as long as those three things are happening, and they're pretty lo- those are pretty low-level um, in terms of invasiveness, we have no beef with religious groups or churches, and um, it's usually on their end that they start having problems with our methods and our approach. So um, I'm happy to work with any of those groups, but really they because they go, go at it with... Um, parental rights and religious freedom first um, before the kids, they usually don't want to work with us. Hmm. Hmm. So, okay. like, HSLDA yeah. is really involved in the um, the funding and lobbying for a parental rights amendment, which, um, in terms of rights language, is kind of a dangerous thing to do because it creates an imbalance um, because there's no, no precedent for language for children's rights um, in state legislative like declarations or on the state constitutions. And uh, the United States has not ratified the UN Rights of the Child Act. And so there's nothing to counterbalance parental rights being put on the books um, in terms of protecting children. And so because that leaves them so vulnerable, um, it's hard for us to work with groups like HSLEA. But other groups, boy, I can't see any reason not to work with them.
2: Hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, it seems like maybe the only people I would think that would affect the most are, and I don't even know if this still exists, are um, maybe parents who applied to, or provided their notice of intent to provide home instruction due to religious exemption.
0: Yeah. So religious um, exemption is specific to Cal, uh, to Virginia. Um, and okay. so when we look at religious exemption in Virginia, the policy recommendation that we've always made is like, you can do this, but you still have to renew it every year. And you still have to tell, um, have the, your kids interact with the doctor for like an, an, an annual physical. We're not asking for vaccines. We're just asking for a physical. It's, it's so, the bare
1: minimum that parents do anyway, in theory, or who should be doing right.
0: anyway. So, quote-unquote, good parents shouldn't have an objection to this. It's only parents who are trying to hide something um, that will object.
2: Hmm. Okay. Well, those are, uh, those are uh, definitely some heavy topics I, I can tell that you know you all have some some uh, interesting well not just interesting but in some pretty deep stories um, or at least you know um, it's yeah I, it's hard to put it into words just because I've, I've you both alluded to your how it affected you growing up and um, so yeah I've, I was interested in how you answer those questions and definitely keep listening
0: i mean everybody has a different experience with homeschooling and some are really positive and some are not and it's it's right now that's pivotal because we're the first generation of um homeschool alums who've come into adulthood and can start advocating for what the future of homeschooling looks like and so it's it's time for there to be um a shift in the conversation to make space for people like us or, like you, to talk about what we want right. homeschooling to look like in the future and what our right. experiences um, have meant to us and how that informs how we look at it going forward.
2: Okay. Well, thanks for the appreciate question. Appreciate you answering really my questions. Question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you t- uh, taking them and actually uh, giving me the time to ask them. So, appreciate it. Yeah. And I'll keep listening.
0: <laughs> All right. Take care.
2: All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Um,
1: Bye. And um, for those of you now that were here, uh, wondering who this we business is all about, because we kept saying we, but not actually addressing who we was, um, the Coalition for Responsible Home Education is the organization that uh, I'm one of the founding board members of, and the tech director, Hannah, works with us as a policy analyst, and we advocate for homeschool policy reform in very easy low-impact-as-we-can ways to make homeschooling safer for students, and that is our approach to it. And if you want to donate to it, you can do it at responsiblehomeschooling.org slash donate. And thanks for listening.